We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jump the gun. So, so giddy with excitement. I jumped the gun. <laughs> well, we're on a new, we're on a new pack. Uh, uh, Matt and I, I think he mentioned we split another one of these big other half packs and i just uh got my box a couple days all right ago. it just arrived right yeah this is my first one actually that i'm having and it is overripe ah, and good i choice. like it because it has a skeleton playing i guess it might be they probably meant it to be a guitar but anatomically it would be more like a ukulele because it's very small and it only has four strings so really it would be a ukulele have you sampled it yet uh i have not i think it's supposed to be ukulele by the way oh okay then they were right good job Oh, wow. Does it taste like it's got freaking juice in there? Yeah, it does. It's nuts. Um, it is. Yeah. So on the description, they say this tropical hazy IPA gives notes of cantaloupe, guava, pineapple, and papaya. I mean, it, it basically tastes like it's like pineapple juice, partly. Yeah. Um, Like quite, quite fruity. I mean, it's good, but yeah, quite fruity. It looks like it's um, other half did a, a great notion uh, recipe. Does that, does that sound right? Yep. Yeah, great notions. So, a great, great notions. An awesome place, right up in Portland. In where? Portland. Oh, Portland, Oregon. Maine? Oregon. It's really nice. Just like super fruity. Wow. Yeah. Like, what kind of beer is it? Uh, IPA. A fruity IPA. Nice. Yeah, just like a just described as just like a hazy IPA, but yeah, fruity IPA. There's no fruity. fruit in it though, which is the nuts part. Yeah, that's what's yeah really fascinating about how they how they get those kind of flavors without actually putting with with just hops, right? I mean, they're just using this the the basic the basic four beer ingredients or whatever, right? Uh, I believe so. And yet, and yet they you know are able to like get it to taste kind of like pineapple juice. It's really quite impressive. What do you guys got? Matt, you want me to go? Yeah. This is courtesy of friend of the podcast, Devin Conley. Uh, there we go. Kept it. Warm your bones from Treehouse. Fuck yeah. You got yourself some Treehouse. Just one beer. But um, he delivered the beer and for like the 10th time, I forgot to give him his mug <laughs> oh. for being on the show. <laughs> Like as soon as he left, I was like, "Damn it!" You got I had, dad like, brain. thought about it. I, said, I know you got dad brain, but come on! I know, I know. I had thought about it while he, while he was here, and I was like, oh, "I'm going to go upstairs at some point for something for Stella or Aria," and just totally forgot about it. 
but but beer beer's okay. It's uh it's a um a winter um winter ale. Um okay. so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely uh different than what I normally drink, but but good. So I at a Wegmans in New Jersey stumbled upon the Saranac throwback pack. So I got myself an Adirondack lager. Wow. <laughs> from Saranac. Very impressive. Ooh. And drinking it in the appropriate glassware. Nice. Where where is I I I feel terrible asking this because I should know where is Saranac? You in... run races or you used to. You worked at a marathon. Oh right. right, right, right. They're right. they're in Utica. They're Utica. the boiler yeah, boiler yeah. maker. Come on. Yep. Oh yep. Utica. They line the, the streets refresher. with kegs at the finish line. I know. I just needed the refresher. That's the ten k with lots and lots of beer. Um, it was, I think it was either slightly less or slightly more than a 10 K. Um, yeah. if I remember correctly, but, but yeah, this tastes like, uh, this tastes like Liverpool. <laughs> I'm very impressed. You're drinking a Saranac lager. Uh, and I'm so, going to follow it up with a Saranac filter. Somebody like you drinking a Saranac. It's very, Hey, un- hey. very unpretentious. I like it. How, I admire it. How many times have I said I'm an equal opportunity beer drinker? <laughs> Right, guess, you want to crack open a, a Jenny cream ale? Fuck yeah! You want to crack open <laughs> hams and cans because that's all you got at the bar that you're at? Fuck yeah! I'll drink a ham and a can. Where did that? For is those that a, don't know is a Midwest brand in the Chicago, Michigan, and right. uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota area. Um, that's one of my favorite stories because on Memorial Day of 2012, as I stumbled into a bar with three friends looking for lunch and a beer, the bartender of this homely quiet dank cave of a bar called the home bar in kalamazoo michigan said we got bud miller and hams and cans <laughs> and so we got a couple pitchers of miller i didn't try the hams that day but every time i see hams now it's hams and cans love it now the important question matt was that pitcher of Miller better than the pitchers of the whatever that Blondale we got yes. before Jeter's last oh, year at Rudy's? <laughs> yes, right? that I don't know what that beer was made of or who brewed it, but <laughs> it served its purpose. Hey, so but it wasn't we were, it like fourteen bucks for. Uh, it's a, it yeah. served its purpose. We were three young adults that were on a budget because we spent all our money on Derek Jeter tickets. Yep. Yep. So it served its purpose, right? I was happy. And we got we got a couple pictures of Saranac too. Did we? Yeah. Or not Saranac of uh uh Sam Adams. I got two pictures of Sam Adams Sam Oktoberfest, Adams. I remember. Because that was okay. like twenty two mm. bucks. Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, I still think whatever that beer was is what gave me the headache that night. Yeah. Well, when we went to burial mat on uh Friday, Toddy and I got out for uh, with, with Aria, um, and then Stell was being watched by her nanny. Um, so we went out Friday afternoon, first time, like since pregnancy and, and everything, um, just for one drink, you know, just to get out. It was a nice day, sunshine. They have a rooftop bar in our old neighborhood. And um, I, I don't remember, I think the last time I was at a brewery was in Raleigh when I went to Trophy. Um, and I don't remember what the beer prices were then, but that was like November. You know, it's been a while <laughs> since since I've I've gone out, and we paid nine dollars for each 
for a, a glass of uh, beer. Um, and, it, and I mean, I told Toddy like right away, I was like, Oh my God, I don't know if it's because it's been so long or whatnot, but just like having it on tap, like fresh out, out of it, like it tastes so much better <laughs> than drinking it out of the can. But at the same time, I was like nine freaking dollars for one beer. I was like, what I know inflation, I know, you know, what, whatever's happening in the, in this economy, but Oh my God, I, I just, I can't imagine what that picture is in New York now. It's got to be like 34 bucks or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> $9 is steep. But I'm, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, let's see. Uh... I mean, and when we went to Yankee Stadium for Jeter in what, 2014 or 15? Yeah, 14. Um, didn't we get like those tall plastic things of Bud Light? And that was like 11 bucks. For like 11, yeah. 11, no, 12. I thought they were more than that. I thought they were like. 14 back then weren't they? Um, maybe. I maybe. don't know. But they were definitely like over 10 and it was fucking Bud Light, which is like the worst beer ever. Yeah. But we did get to keep those plastic Yankee cups. I mean, when I was in <laughs> when I was in New York City for at Madison Square Garden for Billy Joel, a Guinness and a rum and coke. What do you think it cost me? <laughs> uh, okay, hold on, hold on. Uh, I would I say north you. of forty dollars. Oh, and yeah. a water, and a water. Like a bottle water? Yeah. Uh, north of $50, then. I'll say 40 to 50 range. 48. Holy <laughs> fuck. Yeah. I was like, good, fuck it, fuck you, James Dolan. Oh, no, I can't say that. No, uh, unfuck you, James Dolan. Um, please <laughs> don't use your facial recognition to ban my face from going into your venues. Um, Did he do that to he somebody? Um, because he's a lunatic who can't take any criticism. Wow. <laughs> he's the, uh, is he the owner of the Knicks? Is that right? He owns MSG, oh, the network, MSG. which oh. means he owns the Knicks. Wow. But that means he also owns Radio City Music Hall, and I think he owns a couple other venues in New York City as well. Yeah. Wow. He's a, he's a big mogul. Yeah, he's also a, I'm going to hold my tongue. <laughs> he's a big, he's a big douchebag. Alan said it, not me, James. Please let me in your venues. I don't care. I have no desire to go watch the Knicks anytime soon. <laughs> but what if the Eagles are playing their last best only show ever again in Madison Square Garden? They're like, Colin Cernelia, you've been our fan since <laughs> you were listening to music. Come on in. And then they're like, you're going to come on stage and play the shaker with us. And love will keep us alive. I don't know. Just bring up a song. And, and then you walk in and James Dolan's like, nope, get that guy out of here. Well, I honestly, I think there's a better chance that it's Bruce who's playing his final show in New York than the Eagles. The Eagles will probably play their final show out in California. So, but point Bruce take. would be even worse, right? That'd yeah, worse. yeah, it would it would hurt, but I I just don't see that happening. <laughs> I have to say though, like, uh, and I was warned by by my my guest to meet with me at the show. I was warned that Madison Square Garden isn't, isn't all that great. Yeah, and they were right. Like it wasn't all that great. Yeah, it was complicated to get in. It's hard to get in and out. It, it's small. The only good thing was that for like the hour and out, the first hour they were open, all the food was half price. Yeah, I mean the venues like that have the nostalgic, you know, thing. But it's like, does it's it like though? Fenway. Like, I mean, it was only built in the '60s, right? Yeah, but the NBA's only been around since like the '40s. Like, you know. still, like, I don't know. Knock it down. 
I think somebody good at marketing just built up that place. You know, you hear you hear MSG, you hear Madison Square Garden. It just sounds like really well, impressive I think and important. The world's most famous arena. Yeah, no, it's not. The Coliseum I, I, is. So. I think I think it was I think it was a big deal. You know, back in Roman the Coliseum. in the the seventies and the nineties, like when the Knicks when the Knicks are really good. You know, from from a basketball perspective, like that place rocks, and then obviously they can do a whole bunch of other things. But yeah, it is probably getting old and new york city is is old and decrepit and what i didn't what i did not realize until i was there and then i felt like a a rube but it's on top of penn station i did not know that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh like oh "Oh, well that's why it's never going anywhere because (laughs) like no one's gonna touch all that yeah it would be a massive project (laughs) Yep. Well, boys, I think it's only fair that um, football season is officially over for all of us. And, <laughs> a little bit uh, different when you play a good defense, isn't it, Saquon? Isn't it, Daniel? <laughs> Saquon, Saquon had the only the worst defense in the league. He actually played someone with a backbone. And <laughs> oh my God, Saquon had the, like the only good plays. Sincerely, Philadelphia. Whatever. What I was gonna say is. Um, I don't think any of our predictions, preseason predictions, were right. Um, the Packers certainly didn't win the Super Bowl because they didn't even make the playoffs. Um, you know, Saquon had a good year, but he's not going to win the MVP. And, um, you know, Ethan, I think you had the best chance for a little while to say, like, oh, the NFL is a great product. Like, watch the NFL. And then that whole Damar Hamlin thing happened. And, like, for a moment, the NFL – after they they did the wrong thing they they did the right thing but now it's like that never happened and somebody i i guarantee it's it's the same thing with guns i tell this to toddy all the time the only way gun safety changes in this country is if it is the president's kids or these congress people like their kids they're the ones who get mowed down at school or something like that and for the nfl the only way something changes with player safety is if somebody literally dies on the field and demar hamlin was as close as we're ever or as we've gotten to see to to this point i do think it happens it's unfortunately before. at some point and in the nfl matt yeah, uh, I think back in the seventies. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm talking about, you know, they 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 had no player safety back then. I'm talking about in today's day and age with all of the all of the knowledge that we have around concussions and you know just what what the physicality of that leak can do to somebody, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, social media and the connect connectiveness that we all have, you know, to to the league these days. And the DeMar Hamlin thing is like basically all but forgotten at this point. It only happened like two and a half weeks ago. It wasn't even that long ago. Yep. Yeah. So I, I don't even think Ethan, you, you, you were on the best track of the three of us, but yeah. that, that I mean, derails it for me. Well, yeah. I mean, well, my thing was bullshit to begin with. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that was an impossible task. The only, the only thing that you can, the only thing you can do is, is, is I think, do what I did, which is to say, you know, forget about morality and ethics. These people made a voluntary <laughs> decision to do this incredibly dangerous thing, which is true, technically speaking. They know it's dangerous, and they did make a voluntary decision to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, say what you want, but but 
many millions of people think it's a really exciting and fun sport to play and to watch. They, you know, and, and all of these people who play it do think it's worth the danger still. And, you know, so that, that is what it is. Right. But, but yeah, no, I mean, I obviously agree with you and, and I mean, God, that was like, we didn't really even talk about that on the pod, did we? No. Yeah. That was like terrifying. I, I remember watching the highlight like that, that same night or whatever. Um, really, really, really scary to see. I was like, you know, really, really happy that, that he pulled out. Cause I, to be honest, wasn't really expecting it. So, yeah. I mean, the Penn state game had ended 20 minutes, I think before that happened. And, you know, just being on the high of that and like being really happy and everything. And then I'm on Twitter and all of a sudden I see this and it's blowing up and it's just like, it just shakes you to your core and it didn't like ruin the mood. Right. But it, it did like, it was a reality check. It was like, Oh shit, this, this is really dangerous. And, and this, this sucks, but yeah. that feeling, <clears throat> I, I, I feel like as a collective only lasted through the point where it was like, okay, he's making a recovery and you know, he's, he may, he's probably never going to play football again, but you know, he's, he's going to live. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if he had died, you know, maybe we're having a different conversation about it, but yeah. Well, we also had two mass shootings the last two days, you know, 2026, 20, I think already this year, three map. Yeah. So yeah, well, that's the thing in America, right. Or really in the world, right. If you pay close enough attention, you know, even if America was this like perfect utopian ideal place or any country for that matter, Sweden, whatever, or Finland, right. Finland has been like number one in the world happiness index for the last like several years. Right. So imagine in, in some scenario that Finland is this perfect utopia. Everybody's happy. Everything's great. Right. If you pay attention to the rest of the world, it's still fucking garbage. You know what I mean? I mean, we are most familiar with American garbage because we are in the midst of it. Right. But, but I mean, there's, you know, horrid shit all the time everywhere. Um, which is, you know, why I think it's like important. It's, it's a difficult kind of situation. I don't know that we've talked about it in depth, but I think people in like the modern world, you know, Colin, you were talking about like connected connectedness with technology and everything. You got to kind of have a quota for yourself in terms of like how much of the world you absorb on a daily basis, you yeah. know? Like I remember in the early days of COVID when I was just like reading the news all the time and I was like going on Twitter all the time. And that is a real quick way to go into like true despondence, you know? Um, And, and like on the one hand, it's a, it's a natural reaction to be despondent. If you, if you're really like paying attention to, to all of the horrid shit and really like taking it personally. But on the other hand, you're not going to be able to function as a person if you are in the depths of despair all the time. And if you're not able to function as a person, ideally, you're the type of person who wants to try to make things better, right? So if you can't function as a person, you know, uh, what, what point are you, you know, what, what, what purpose are you serving? Right? You're just, you're just torturing yourself, basically, you know? So yeah, it's like a really difficult thing. I don't know if that's something you guys watch for yourself, but I know like for me early in the early days of COVID, I I ended up hitting a point where I was like, you know what, I'm only going to allow myself to like check the news or check Twitter such and such amount, you know, Um, it's, it's really difficult. I I, I like to characterize it not as American garbage, Ethan, but as American cheese. (laughs) cheese. It's got the appearance of wholesomeness and a good, but it's really just plastic and fake products. 
and in the you know it, <laughs> this is it, good in the in the in the wise words of Tyler Spencer, aka Dick Valentine, lead singer of Electric Six, have another slice of American cheese. <laughs> um, I like that. That's good. I believe uh, I'll sing the chorus or I'll read the chorus. Can't see the forest through the trees. I make my living in American cheese, bringing everybody to their knees. So have another slice of American cheese. And then he ends each chorus with a pun, a cheese pun. So uh, <laughs> either I know it would be better with Gouda or cheddar, or I'm not an et- Italian fella, but I like mozzarella. <laughs> so uh, lots That's of good cheese puns. <laughs> well, I got I got a good way to segue out of this. And then uh, let's talk about the Hall of Fame. Um, well, wait, re- wait, wait, wait. I wanted to. I, I, sorry, I got to. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to be a bit of a uh, sentimental person and a bit of an asshole because I'm going to say, as as the only one of the three of us to play organized football, um, I did play flag I, I, football I for grasp- one year in like first grade. Real organized football. Oh, okay, all right. Um, all right you know, continue. with no way. Pro limits. Bowl's flag football this year. What? Pro Bowl, yeah. Pro Bowl is flag. Oh, funny. Okay. Um, I mean, Sorry, there's a reason okay. I did. I did drunkenly tell your dad at your wedding, Colin. Right? He was smart <laughs> yeah. uh, to not to not let you play, even though I think you'd be you would have been a great football player. Um, I don't think I fully recognized it, and I still question to this day what kind of things I could have done to my body. Sure. Um, and I had a family member die on the football field. Don't forget that you guys know this. My cousin Ridge. I did not remember this. Playing for Phoenix, died on the football field in Homer. What happened? Was it like a brutal like head-to-head hit or something? Subdural hematoma. And Expl- explain explain that for it's for... it's a deep brain bruise, but it doesn't register immediately. So I think um oh shoot, Liam Neeson's wife died that way on the ski slopes, right? Jesus uh, fucking Christ. So I mean he had he had a blunt trauma to the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he played four or five more plays and then just said, I don't feel good and poof, died. Jesus. When he would, what, what was he like 16 years old? 17, uh, 10th 15? grade, I think. So he was like 14 or 15. Yeah. Holy fuck. Um, and it, you have a real ethical problem watching the NFL and, and, and I consume the NFL having that happen, having injuries to myself, having a lost a family member to it. I'm still a consumer of it. And, and, and as much as I tell myself, I don't want to be sometimes I, I get drawn back. Uh, yeah. I enjoy watching it. Um, yeah. But I really, I don't see in a hundred years that that sport surviving in the same way it, it still does. Yeah. Um, and you can talk about the um, let's say exploitation of the athletes. You can talk about the ethical missteps of the NFL, which there are plenty. Um. But, you know, ultimately these, you know, a lot of these athletes see um, professional football, they, they see the risk of their life, life and their body um, as appropriate for the potential financial reward. And unfortunately, the, the fr- fraction of the people who actually get there is so small that it's not worth it. I mean, the guys end up broken in a lot of cases, right? You know, you're not, your, your college, your college health insurance ends when you're done, right? They're not going to get the surgery. You, you, you play four years as a mid tier, um, you know, bottom of the power five second string lineman, right? You're going to get your self demolished every day in practice. 
But after your four years is done, you better hope you had a degree because you're not getting anything out of that. And and that's why I think um, you're forever going to see some sort of uh, attraction. There's always going to be enough people for an XFL or a USFL, but that's just as bad, right? We don't need more football right now. Um, we don't need more football games in the season. We don't need bigger college seasons, um, right? It, you know, it, there's just, there's a lot to it. And again, I love the sport. Um, I love playing it. Um, but when I was a 15-year-old making that decision versus when I was a 25-year-old, right? 25-year-old at Colin's wedding, 26 or 27? 2017, yeah. We would have yeah. been 27, yeah. yeah. Um, what's the big difference? And, and again, I, I, there's, I mean, I drunkenly waxed poetic to your dad, but uh, how wise he was there, um, you know, soccer was dangerous enough. You didn't need to be playing football. Um, and, and I don't, don't know if you guys remember, I mean, there's, there is risk, whatever, whatever sport you play, yeah. um, baseball could kill you. Right. I think, uh, before we got to high school, didn't a, a guy in CMI die playing lacrosse. Right. Cause this is what I, this is my theory. And I'm still what happened to Darnell Ham or Darnell, DeMar. DeMar, DeMar, um, right. You know, if you map out your EKG, if you have a blunt force impact to your chest at a certain point through your heartbeat, it could stop your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there was a, I think he was a lacrosse goalie in, somewhere in New York in upstate New York who got hit in the chest protector with a lacrosse ball at the very right point, And he died. I still oh, remember shit. that because I remember people in, in Ethan in our, you know, wonderful science fair in ninth grade doing projects about gel pads to try and dissipate and absorb that force because it can kill you. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what I'm getting back to is, yeah, uh, they explained it to me. Um, I didn't realize it kind of, I didn't, I don't think I fully grasped it back then. Uh, I got to hope by the time you're old enough to get through college and the NFL, you do grasp it. And hopefully if there's anything that tells us that it is a big reminder that like, Oh shit, maybe I should, maybe I should play rugby. You know, I'd rather break my nose than die. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know where I'm ending this, but mm-hmm. it is, uh, it is, you know, it is, it was scary to see. I didn't, I didn't even watch it live. Uh, I think yeah. it's miraculous that he's still alive. Credit to the athletic training staff. Holy shit. I mean, yeah. uh, I was reading reports. They did CPR on him for 10 minutes just to make sure his ox- his brain kept getting oxygen. Um, that's nuts. Um, credit to the team that, I mean, the, the response, I think someone was at Under you know, 10 to seconds, him within 20 seconds, right? Um, you know, all these things are are, are awesome you know, examples of things happening, you know, working the way they should, but in general, it shouldn't have gotten to that point to begin with. And I'm going to, I'm going to end it there. Okay. Before I rant anymore. But two, two things. I know we should move on, but two things. Um, and we don't need to dwell on them too long, but I just, I, I just want your like quick, quick impressions. Number one is the Hamlin thing. The one, the one, the one thing that I'm still, uh, that I haven't like read a conclusive thing about the hit itself. And correct me if I'm wrong, the hit itself did not look like a crazy out of the line, out of line hit. It looked like a pretty normal okay tackle. Is that right? Yep. It was not the most violent hit. Yeah. yeah. So plain, Hamlin plain just got like so he yeah. so something he just got super unlucky somehow. Yeah. I mean, it was it was directly into his chest, right? I mean, but yeah. So maybe it was like what you were talking about. But it, that, it like, wasn't. It wasn't. There are you could list a hundred more violent hits in the NFL yeah, this year. Right. Exactly. I was I, I was reading um, 
so Joe Paz has been counting down the uh, the the football one on one he's been doing right, and he did one a few weeks ago on Ronnie Lott, the uh, the famous safety from the 49ers, right when we were kids, and he was like notorious for for his hits, and I and I went and I watched like some highlights of it, and and I don't think so, a lot of that shit would fly these days. It's really interesting. <laughs> There's like, a meme going around of like this CBS Sunday football from the 1980s. <laughs> And it's basically the text at the top goes, it's just the intro to the Sunday football broadcast. And it's like 99% of these hits would be illegal today. Yeah. And it's, it, you watch it, you go, oh yeah, oh shit. Like, oh, yeah. Oh. yeah, it's pretty wild. Okay. And then the second thing. So uh, um, we briefly mentioned um, Shorzy, the, the spinoff from Letterkenny, and it's very hockey centered. So uh, these are Canadian comedies from, from this Canadian uh, comic actor named Jared Kiso, who played, played pretty high level hockey. I was reading up on it and is like a massive hockey fan. Right. And so he has this new show called Shorzy. Uh, it's like all about a hockey team. And he, there's actually like everybody except for him on the, like the main characters, they're all like real pro hockey players, um, which, cool. which is, which is really cool. Yeah. But anyway, so I've been going down kind of a hockey rabbit hole, you know, so I used to, uh, you guys, gosh, well, actually this would have been before I met Matt. Um, there were a couple of years when we were kids where I was actually like a really big hockey fan, like 2000 to 2003, something like that. Right. Uh, and then the lockout happened. They missed an entire season and I never really started following again after that. But in any case, I've been just like reading a lot. And I've been listening to some hockey podcasts and just like kind of getting back into it. And the interesting thing is, you know, and I think there's an obvious answer. We don't hear much about any of this stuff when it comes to hockey, but I got to imagine that hockey is like close to as bad, if if not as bad as football. I think there are probably some cases where maybe the hits, you know, aren't quite as bad as like the worst possible tackle in football, right? Like like a horrible head-to-head tackle in football is, is like truly horrible. And in hockey, that would have to be somebody doing something like evil to do something like that. But the amount of like physical damage that these guys are taking, let alone the fact that like all of these fights are like so, so common. And I know that these guys are tough as shit and I know they're only hitting each other with like their bare fists, but like, if you do that enough times, like the, the human hand is hard. The bones are hard. Um, and I mean, there have been some studies, you know, CTE is a thing for, for retired hockey players, same, same as football players. And it's interesting to me. I don't think that hockey is getting the same attention. I think it's because hockey is just so much less popular than football. Right. Um, but I was just thinking about that. Like it's same as football. It's like this fun, fast paced physical sport. Like it's, it's really cool. Um, but fucking brutal, like really, really brutal. I think there's two things in count. Sorry to keep going on this, that, um, that hockey has for it that maybe mitigates that. Number one, being on the ice, right? So if, if you know, just think about the physics, Ethan, if, if you and I were stare, standing at each other and we pushed each other, like part of our force would direct us backwards, right? Because, you know, you're not, you're not dug in like you are with cleats and depositing all of your force in the other person. Um, the other thing is that the boards, when you do have these cross checks, these hits on the board, the boards are designed to give. So that will absorb some of the force too. But to Ethan's point, to give the counterpoint, um, any sort of fall onto the ice is terrifying, right? Um, and I'm going to bring up a name that you guys will hopefully remember because this is the last Hamlin-type incident I can think of in the NHL. Todd Bertuzzi. You guys remember that name? I do, yeah. I remember The chase-down punch from behind that ended up with him. But I think he 
broke his broke bones in his face or broke bones in his neck or something. And he was driven down into the ice, almost put him in the hospital, almost killed the guy. Like that, oh, you're right, shit. Ethan, that, that's there too. Um, yeah. The scientist in me wants to put accelerometers on everyone, you know, put accelerometers in the hats or in your helmets and see fascinating. What, what's the violent, you know, how violent are these hits? Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's a in, in the football helmet and you've got the plastic on plastic or in a hockey, you know, Again, a fall on the ice just is terrifying to me. Well, um, you know, it's like obviously we all remember my elbow, right? Now, <laughs> I wasn't going, I wasn't going that fast. So, but here's, but I want to make an actual point. Obviously, yes, it's hilarious, but sorry, it's embarrassing. No, no, but like, there's an actual point to be made, which is to say, humans, we think right in our head, we we I don't think we realize as a general rule how fragile we are. Um, I was not going that fast. I did not fall from a great height and still my fucking bone broke. And it was a big ass break. You guys remember. Um, now, granted, I am not super, super fit and muscular like NHL players. Uh, those guys are presumably wearing lots of padding. However, uh, like any hit when you are when you are that big or falling on the ice when you are that big and you are going that fast, like there's just there's a lot of power in any of this. I don't care how good a shape you're in and 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 the padding, I'm sure the padding helps, but like do we really think that they're wearing enough to like totally mitigate this shit? Like I highly I mean, doubt it. I know the socks are tall, but the hockey players are technically wearing shorts. <laughs> right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of wild to think about, right? I mean, um yeah, like the ice is real fucking hard and these guys are moving real fast. They're really big. They're really strong. Um, it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty nuts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd have to do I'd have to do some more research on it. But I, I feel like part of the reason that boxing declined in popularity, because boxing was like you know, the sport for a long time in, the, in this country um, was because of the gruesome injuries that could come from it and that's why it's at the same time it's kind of surprising that ufc you know took off and got as popular and it's still very popular you know today um yeah because it's it's probably even more gruesome uh, human cockfighting (laughs) yeah really seriously right right um so i don't know I'd, i'd have to do um some some research on that to give an informed take but um okay it is it is all crazy. Two two things on that really quickly. Number one, I totally agree. I think that's a good point. I remember watching like a few years ago, some like Mike Tyson highlights, you know, because Mike Tyson was like the best in the world for a while. Right. And, and he was also kind of notorious for, you know, his like violence and brutality. I mean, he was following the rules other than the ear thing. And maybe there were some <laughs> other incidents too. Right. But if you watch like any of like the famous clips or whatever, he's doing just regular old boxing. He was just so strong and so fast. And I mean, you watch these clips and it's like really scary to watch. Um, like the way these guys are just like beating the shit out of each other. But yeah. I do want to finish more lighthearted. Well, maybe lighthearted, depending on your perspective. Can't remember if I've talked about this on the pod. I don't think so because I don't remember us ever talking about boxing. Do yourselves a favor, everyone, and go after you're done with this, go to YouTube and search for Mike Tyson, eat your children. Okay, <laughs> Matt, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Go to the go and watch this video. It's like a minute long. It's after a fight. Uh, Mike Tyson is clearly hyped up on like an insane amount of adrenaline. And the, uh, you know, like the MC guy or whatever asks him some question about the fight. And Tyson just goes on this like epic rant where he uh, he references Allah 
and he uses like one of the common like Muslim phrases. Um, and now he also talks like a ton of shit um, about, you know, whoever it was uh, uh, that he was talking about, uh, Lennox Lewis, I think Lennox Lewis, maybe um, about what he's going to do to that to that guy and everything and just talking about how he's the best. Uh, it's amazing. It is just one minute of like pure gold. Um, I feel bad because I feel like even at that point, he was probably already pretty fucking insane and probably had already damaged his brain from all of his boxing. But um, it's it's pretty funny, I have to say. So yeah, now Mike he's Tyson, the, eat your children. The second worst person on Adult Swim right now. Who's the second worst person on Adult uh, Swim? Tyson. Oh, what does he do on Adult Swim? He's got the Mike Tyson Magical Mystery Show. Oh, I oh forgot God. about that. I've never watched that. It it actually looks pretty goofy, pretty funny. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Yes. Do we, I mean I don't know? Do we want to get into the Royland thing? Like it's it's <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, extremely disappointing. We can leave it at that. We could, we could save more disappointment for next week. Yeah, uh, exactly. Fuck Dana White though. <laughs> yes, he, yes, hundred percent. He UFC guy, is that right? Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. Getting he's a white guy getting away with not yeah, murder. Slapped, but... slapped his wife wife in public two yeah. weeks ago and no consequences. Yeah, very interesting. Like, like, not slap, like hit her hard. What the fuck? Yeah. Jesus yep. Christ. Anyway, Colin. Yeah. Okay. So this this segue is yes. definitely worth the wait. All right. So I'm reading Elton John's memoir right now. Okay. <laughs> it's very good so far. I just started uh, yesterday or today. I can't, I can't remember. Um, and uh, he is it Buddy Holly, right? The uh, yeah, the musician. Mm-hmm. So he needed Ellen John needed glasses, but he only needed them at first to like read the chalkboard, you know, or something like that. But he thought they made him look like Buddy Holly, so he kept wearing them and it really damaged his eyesight. Um, you know, so he needed to wear glasses permanently after that. So, you know, Elton John's pretty famous for, for his look with that and everything. Anyway, the funny part about this story that he's, that he's telling in his memoir is, at least in, in England, um, one of the things that parents used to tell kids when they were, you know, getting to puberty or get caught masturbating or whatever it is, is like, you'll go blind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so uh, Elton John says that, he was he was so frightened because he had already fucked up his eyes so bad on his own that he wasn't sure like he's like i think it's a myth but i'm not sure mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like i'm probably the only person who could ever tell a story about how how their parents uh told him that they were blind they they would get blind um and i wanted to look like buddy holly and that got me to stop wanking you know type thing and it was just <laughs> it was a hilarious line uh in, in the book and i, I was just like not expecting that at all from Elton John <laughs> of all people, but um, really, really good book so far. Uh, very, very interesting getting a look into 1950s England. It is right. not a fun place. <laughs> well, and also being a gay guy growing up uh, in, in those decades must have been pretty interesting. Yeah, he hasn't gotten too much into that yet. Uh-huh. Um, I don't, from, from what I've read so far, I don't, I don't know how sure he was at that point yeah. in his life um although he has he has hinted at it m- multiple times already right um but yeah it's uh but it just seems like a very depressing post-war gloomy gray kind of like syracuse honestly like yeah. it, it made me feel like syracuse so right i want to yeah. real quick to attack on to that that's cool you brought that up and cool you're reading that 
Um, I have a piano student, no joke, nine, I think he's nine. I don't think he's turned 10 yet. Uh, maybe he's turning 10 soon. He fucking loves Elton John. Nice. And so a few months ago, his parents got him like this Elton John, you know, piano book, and we've been working on it. And it's like, honestly, it's like pretty hard. And it's like, you know, kind of above him. But when he in terms of his skill level right now, but when he gets really excited about something, he he just he will really work hard and get it down. And we just had a studio recital last weekend and he did um, not singing, but just playing. Uh, he's playing chords in his left hand and the melody in his right hand. And he did two Elton John songs on this past recital. He sounded fucking awesome on them. Um, anyways, what was interesting is you guys know I grew up on classic rock, but around like 2008, probably. Uh, I, I moved on to other genres and I've barely listened to classic rock since now I liked Elton John. Okay. Growing up, you know, I liked rocket man and I liked like, that's why they call it the blues, but I was never wild about Elton John, but I will say this revisiting his music because of my student playing some of the songs he, he, and his, uh, he didn't write, um, yeah. by himself. He wrote with yeah. Bernie Taupin a lot. Yeah. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it they're fucking awesome. They're like really, really great composers. Um, I mean, I'm, I haven't been paying as much attention to the lyrics, but musically speaking, like super cool, super interesting, lots of interesting chords and like unexpected chord progressions, which uh, not not super common for pop music. And the fact that he has had the career that he's had kind of doing what he did with him in terms of his chords and his harmonies, uh, it's really, really impressive. So uh Props to Elton John. I never, uh, never would have thought about it that much and, until until working on these songs with my students. So, Matt's yeah. been there with me outside. We didn't get in the in the troubadour, um, but I, one day I will get in the troubadour. It was closed. Um, but Elton John's American debut at the troubadour in seventy one ish, like around there, is like one of the most famous things in in rock and roll history like he just blew people away immediately and and i haven't gotten to this point in the in the memoir yet um but i know that uh from uh another book that i i read about um the year 1971 there's there's a documentary on apple tv and there's a book um about how that year changed um the world like music changed the world and um he didn't even want to really go to america um, but he did and he got super popular <laughs> and it was just like, okay, well, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so yeah, just, just, and, and he came from, I, I think about like, I, we're going down really weird rabbit holes today, but he came from a very broken home. Um, his mom was a lunatic. His dad was like less of a lunatic, but not a very warm, loving person. Um, he was on pins and needles all the time. He said growing up, like, it was just a very, like Bruce was like that. Like a lot of people who end up being famous for lack of a better word, um, come from these backgrounds. And, and it, it makes me think that like, you literally almost have like nothing to lose when, when you come from a, uh, an environment where you don't feel cared for and you don't feel loved. It's like you can because I I was thinking about him leaving England to to go to California and I'm like I can't even fathom doing it, <laughs> you know. Um and uh and and, I'm, and it's not to say that like it's a bad thing if if you come from a loving supportive you know family and and you don't want to like leave home and and you want a quieter life and you know things like that. But it is really interesting. You you oftentimes see you know people who come from tougher upbringings. Um you know they're the ones who ultimately make it because they 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 can kind of take that more nomadic 
uh, lifestyle and just like really just throw it all out there. And they're like, I'm the only one that cares about me. Nobody else cares about me. And I'm just going to go for it, if that makes sense. It's a really interesting thought. Yeah. Matt? Or you're a Nepo baby and you just... uh... Or yeah. that get or anything that. you want. Yeah. No, I, I I don't know much, John. I'll say, uh, Ethan, you might like Brandy Carlisle's cover of A Mad Men Across the Water. Oh, I'm sure I would. I love Brandy. Gives me yeah. chills. It's such a good cover. Um, but I really didn't know much. Uh, I do remember though vividly growing up. I had never heard the song Crocodile Rock. Oh yeah. And um, it was a pre-recorded backbeat on a Casio that my cousin had. <laughs> and we're like hitting it like oh this is called crocodile rock and you hear the p- piano intro and then my mom just walking in the room going la, 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 la. like what the fuck is going on like, oh, oh she's singing the song oh that's the song oh crap <laughs> like, oh, good old days amazing it's so good so good all right let's top this off with some, some hall of fame talk and um for people who don't know and uh, it's it's probably a lot of people because he's not a super popular person. And this is actually what I want to talk about. Scott Rowland was the only person who was voted into the Hall of Fame for the year 2023 by the by the Baseball Writers Association. Correct. Yes. Yes. He would join was also Fred McGriff, this year. Yes. Right? From a, a veterans committee. Um, you know, both of those names are well known for baseball nerds like us, uh, but for the casual baseball fan. I, I would be hard pressed to to think that anyone knows either one of those people. Um, in front of the podcast, Joe Ponsonansky uh, wrote about this uh, either today or yesterday, and this is kind of what I, what I want to talk about. Um, and he was talking about you know how like McGriff, Ted Simmons, Lee Smith, Harold Baines, Mike Mussina, Edgar Martinez, Scott Rowland, like all been recent inductions into the hall of fame and all probably worthy, you know, good careers and everything. But he's like, you know, this person that he was talking to didn't know any of these players, casual baseball fan didn't know any of these players, but they did know the names of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Alex Rodriguez and Pete Rose and Gary Sheffield. And it's like, you know, the, the hall, the hall of fame, you know, what he's talking about is like this, this uh, baseball story. And John Thorne talked quite a bit about the word fame in hall of fame and like how that should be the differ- differentiator. Like it was a big deal for David Ortiz. It was a big deal for Derek Jeter, um, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. You know, so, some of these people that, that I can think of off the top of my head uh, and, and Joe Paz might've mentioned as well. And, and I, I think the three of us, for the most part, have probably been pretty aligned with that, where we, we would like to see Clemens and Bonds and A-Rod, like the greatest players of our generation, in the fucking Hall of Fame. Um, but it's it, it just got me thinking again, like, how fucking stupid I think this all is, because it, it really is just a, it's just a museum commemorating historic events and whether you like the person or not, or whether they, they did something that you agree with or not, they did it. And it entertained you in the moment. I guarantee it. People loved what A-Rod did. People loved what McGuire did. People loved what Clemens did. Bonds did. That's the whole point, right? That's why baseball like allowed it is because baseball was fucking exploding for a few years there. Yeah. But did people love lying to grand juries? 
Did people love? Every, everybody got all high and mighty later on because Americans are fucking stupid hypocrites. Okay. But why can't why can't we do like the the Robbie Alomar punishment, which it seems like maybe Carlos Beltran is getting. And Joe Potts wrote about this right. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Robbie Alomar had a very famous incident, infamous incident. Yeah. Domestic um, wasn't it? Domestic violence. No, spitting in oh, the face spitting. of the umpire. That's right, spitting yeah. at an ump. That's on, right. On national television, back when games weren't you know on all the time and, and everything. Uh, that's right. Yeah, you know, really despicable act. And I mean, I'm sure he apologized, um, and I'm sure he regretted it. But it happened, and it's like, I mean, you could you could probably you could probably come up with something bad that every single person who's ever played the game of baseball has done. I mean, yeah, that's the point. Like, right, Ty Cobb was a terrible person, a racist. Yeah, and there are many like that, by the way. Um, in the Hall of Fame, in the Hall of Fame, to be. I don't know. I, I I think, I, I, I I think the steepest, other than Bonds, has got to be a Rob, right? Because McGuire, McGuire, and Sosa didn't. Other than the rumors, right? They. They were loved. They were genuinely loved. There wasn't much that those guys did. I mean, McGuire even had had the bottle of Andro sitting there. Like he wasn't hiding. He wasn't. I was sitting there, right, like, right in the dugout, right yeah, in the clubhouse. Like, yeah. And it's like, oh well, what is that? Oh, it's just a supplement. Yeah, it's a pre. It's not. It's not testosterone, but your body turns into testosterone, so it's a precursor. So it's pretty much steroid. Like, uh, but he's like, oh, I didn't check it after I work out. Like, uh, you know, Sammy Sosa. What's the worst thing he did? Uh, cork his bat one year, right? Like. Um, oh, that's my batting practice bat. No, it wasn't. Um, so I, I think the biggest things and the things that people like, right? Because because there's one name you didn't uh, list, but that could be in that that Palmero, right? Palmero's never going to get in because of that that snippet of him vehemently like lying to Congress. Like, yeah. I did not take. Yes, you did. Yes, you did, Rafi. Yes, you did. Like. And and so I think that's probably the the hill that A Rod and Bonds have to. You're right. It's it, it's a museum, right? Um, and if you want to get exclusionary, you can you can you can make Venn diagrams of everyone in that museum for some way or another, right? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe not Mike Trout, but that's about it, right? You know, <laughs> he just doesn't want to be famous. He doesn't. He's an, yeah, he's fuck an Eagles you, Rod, fan. <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, I still, you guys know me. I, I kind of waffle on this more than you guys. I'm, I mean, I'm more than most, but, um, you know, it's, we're going to convince you eventually, eventually you're going to, you're going to agree with us entirely. It'll happen <laughs> Maybe. eventually. Maybe, Maybe tonight <laughs> after what I'm about to say. But, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird, right? Uh, San, I, the, the, the era I think is important to recognize regardless if you even make make another room make a make a make a wing but the era is important to recognize make their make their plaques carved out of acrylic or something i don't know i mean brady anderson hit 50 home runs one year you know (laughs) brett boone hit 37 homers with 141 rbis one year like like in like matt your your argument is valid to to say like have a separate wing, but then like, don't you, don't you have to like backtrack then and like go get Mickey Mantle's plaque and, and redo it. This is what I was going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like you could Venn diagram everyone in that, and that again, there's maybe, maybe a dozen players in there. We can go, that was a perfect person. Like, yeah. Okay. And for me though, here's the larger point, right? 
is so yeah what you guys are saying exactly right this venn diagram go and find these other guys if we really and joe pause has kind of written about this in the past too right if we really want to talk about like a morality clause and we want to talk about ethics and we want to talk about people in the hall of fame being good people there are many people in the hall of fame many i'm not talking about five i'm not talking about ten okay i'm talking about dozens Okay, figure anybody from the fucking late 1800s in the first half of the 20th century, because everybody was pretty much a racist piece of shit by our modern standards at that time. Okay, there are many people, many in the Hall of Fame who had an aspect of their character that was way fucking worse than taking steroids, way worse. So all of these people who talk about like A-Rod and Clemens and Bonds and they can't be in it and whatever, I guess... If you want to acknowledge the fact that there's like a bunch of other people who are way shittier and you want to kick everybody out and have and have this morality thing, that's one thing. If you want to have that Hall of Fame, go for it. It's going to be a shitty, tiny, weird Hall of Fame, but you can do it if you want to. Okay. (laughs) Or the other option is you recognize uh, that humans are complicated. They are not black and white. Uh, Some of them are really shitty overall. Some of them are pretty good overall, but just did some shitty things here and there. Right but it's part of being fucking human. And it applies to all of us too, by the way. Right. And so I obviously, I mean, you guys know where I stand, right. But like Clemens, Bonds, A-Rod, not only are we talking about like the best players of our generation, we're talking about like the best players of all time, right? There, there is a very valid argument that Bonds is literally the greatest of all time. And that Clemens is the greatest pitcher of all time. And that A-Rod is like really, really close to, right. There's valid arguments for that. Now, granted, we know that there's steroids. We know that there are some complicated numbers that resulted from all of the PED usage. But the fact that we have this like museum that is supposed to be this like amazing place that honors and celebrates baseball, and we are not like acknowledging this in any way at all is like really weird. Now, I don't know the best way to acknowledge it. Like Matt was mentioning, how did you, how did you put it, Matt? Uh, uh, acrylics? Yeah, <laughs> make it separate, make it out of acrylic instead of brown, yeah. you know? Yeah, maybe there's something, maybe there's a visual aspect, maybe there's like a little uh, disclaimer or something, on, like it's a separate wing, whatever. But it's like really wild to me that, that uh, you know, there are still so many people who just refuse to acknowledge it. And I want to uh, piggyback on this really quickly, because Colin, you kind of touched on this about how, you know, lots of these people uh, in the past and everything had something bad about them and, and everything I was talking to my college buddies about this just like yesterday. I know we said we weren't going to go into Royland, but Royland was the impetus of this uh, conversation. And, you know, we were, we were all kind of talking about how sad we are and disappointed because we all like love Rick and Morty. I also love Solar Opposites, which is his other show. Um, And I think that like, he is a fucking comedic genius. Like I love his work. Right. Um, and at this point, right, and this goes for a lot of people who are entertainers or artists who it ends, we end up finding out that they're, they're pretty shitty in one way or another. A lot of people decide, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this person's stuff. I'm never doing, you know, uh, uh, consuming any of their stuff ever again. And that's it. And I think maybe I've talked about this on the pod maybe a long while back, right? But like, I just, I don't think that that's really a, a very rational approach because if you are going to be that picky about morality with all artists of of any kind of art any medium uh you are going to narrow yourself down you're going to give yourself slim pickings really fucking fast because again humans are complicated and either whether they're shitty or whether they're pretty good but just did some shitty stuff whatever they're complicated and there's a lot of artists who are like that and if you really want to go down that rabbit hole 
I don't know, you're just like supremely limiting your life. There are other ways to like punish these people. And we've talked about that a little bit, right? You just don't financially support them or whatever, right? There's various things. But I just, this whole like morality sort of superiority complex, I just, I, I don't think that it really stands up to like, to like hard scrutiny. So I just wanted to tack on to that, I guess. The, the best I can say that I think the best argument I can make to myself um, as to why those guys belong in there in some capacity somehow is right. We it's, it's an era and there's no way we, we've, we have inducted people who use steroids, right? Yeah, exactly. David Ortiz, David Ortiz. he was on the fucking Mitchell report. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, there, there's, there are very few in this last 20 years that I'm, I'm confident that didn't use it. Right. Frank Thomas was early and often saying, test everyone. Maybe, maybe he's one, maybe not. Jim Tomey went from a, you know, skinny third baseman to a chunk, right? And, you know, he could have just, I mean, he lifted, he lifted a lot, right? I love Jim Tomey. He's supposed to be a really nice guy, you know? By all accounts, yeah. He could have used be a great guy. I still think, yeah. I still want to say that I don't think Randy used it. I want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to say Randy's late career was because he really didn't throw a lot of innings until he was 30, but statistically speaking right how many pitchers these days who throw as awkwardly and as violently and as fast as he does make it to their 40s right yeah and he have the those unicorns like nolan could he be a unicorn like nolan could be right he also leverages that that six foot ten frame and he can throw that speed a lot easier than people because of the body mechanics but the seasons he had in his late 30s though in his late in his late 30s he had like four of the greatest pitching seasons ever like i don't know i'm skeptical that it could be just because of his big frame or fewer innings before age fewer miles on his arm right yeah so yeah i love randy these things but i can't right Uh, and i'm hoping like next year next year shoo-in who's next year shoo-in for the ballot Adrian Beltre. Beltre, right? I I, want, I really hope he didn't either. Oh, I'm sure he did. Of he, course, he was he a did. fantastic player, and everyone loved him. But he hit 48 home runs in his contract year. His previous career high was like 21, and then he hit 48 <laughs> his contract year. Come on, you really think a he chance. was that inspired by the contract? If he was that inspired by the contract year, and he did better, maybe he would have hit 30 or something. I mean, then do right? you think Judge hit 48? Did, did Judge take steroids this year? Then? <laughs> this is on. an inter- that well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. Did he take steroids in 2017 when he hit 52? Because I don't think 52 to 62 is is that drastic of a change, especially for a guy who's six seven, two eighty, right? Well, but now, then what about a guy who's 6'10", 240, throwing fastballs? The point is the age in that case for me, yeah. right? Uh, I I think you know if we if we look at baseball history, it's just so rare to have seasons like that when you're in your late 30s, and Randy and Bonds and Clemens all did that they yeah. had not just good years in their late 30s they had absurd all-time great seasons in their late 30s and that's just not the way the human body works if we use uh like i don't know centuries of data um or at least if you just want to stick with baseball 120 years of data whatever right we've got a lot of fucking data on this so that to me is the sticking point right yeah. judgy is only 30 he's uh, uh, you know, yeah, the big size, right? We can't go just on that. It's possible he took steroids, but I think there's probably enough testing these days that maybe he that maybe he didn't. Maybe he took um, them though during the lockout when there was no testing. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And I mean, I'll say again, right? I've said this before, and I'll reiterate. You know, I am probably maybe it's just because I'm cynical, but I'm probably in like the 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 99th percentile in terms of uh, when it comes to estimations of the steroid era, how many people used. I think it was pretty much a hundred percent or close to it. 
that people that tried something that is now illegal. I'm not saying that they did it on the reg, but I'm saying pretty close to 100% tried something, if not did it multiple times, that is now illegal. And that includes, I'm going to say again, like I did last time we talked about this, Derek Jeter. It fucking includes him. Oh, and come on. Mariana yeah, Rivera. And any you're gonna other... have there's gonna be at least like three prudes who are like like I've never smoked anything ever. <laughs> like, I don't know. Be those guys there in somewhere. Major League Baseball. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. It All is right. true, Matt. I have never smoked a cigarette in my life. Uh, so. Hookah, cigar, weed, cigarette, <laughs> no smoke. <laughs> I am. I live a yeah. You've never done any sheltered. Well, I can't fucking 9,000 beers for you. <laughs> That's true. You made up for all of those things with yeah. the amount of beers you've My had. liver is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So I have a few points. Um, Matt, you talking about Nolan Ryan. This is the first time I've ever thought about this, but Nolan Ryan played long enough into his career and he didn't have the dominating seasons like Ethan talks about with Randy. Um, but he did play long enough into his career where steroids had entered the discussion in baseball and i do wonder if nolan ryan um is possibly somebody who very steroids um second thing i wanted to say is that i it is good it is good that we want to hold human beings to a higher morality standard moral standard yeah in this world. So I don't think any any of us, the three of us, I don't think anyone's saying that we just want to let douchebags and shitty people and terrible people. But I think there is a really big fundamental difference between the steroids people, the specifically like the Bonds, the A-Rods, the Clemens, um, the Maguires that we're talking about, and then people like Aroldis Chapman and Trevor Bauer and things like that. Now, neither one of them and and you know, Ramon and they're not hall of famers anyway. Right. Um, but you know, like an Omar Vizquel, you know, if, if, if you do something that's truly an actually shitty thing to, to use your word, Ethan, like then I could see the argument to say like, okay, let, let, let's not celebrate this person because we do live in a society where we want people to be better. And that is a good thing. So, so that part I can buy, but what I can never get on board with is keeping people out who are doing something that was literally, as you said, Matt, a part of the game, an accepted part of the game. There was no testing. It was not illegal. Major League Baseball profited off of that. Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame, which we have said multiple yep. times yep. on this podcast. Fucking absurd. The but guy again, who again, oversaw Major League Baseball is in the Hall though, of Fame. Remember, when you get like Bonds and, and A-Rod, they changed the rules and said this is no longer allowed, and then they still were involved in it, right? Balco sure. was after the rules changed. Yeah, so I think the, that's an the exception. Ne- New Genesis or whatever the fuck A-Rod was doing in Miami was after the rules changed, and it, they still did it. But McGuire and Sosa, for instance, would have been before. Yes. Right. So why are they like just to use them as examples? Like, but even why are even, they being even still, even still, Bonds is a Hall of Famer. Anyway, just from the first decade of his career, yeah. You yeah. A Rod, you probably got to stretch it a little bit. Nah, to... I would say same thing. First decade of his career, Hall of Famer. Yeah, but he was taking steroids in that first decade. But it was it was like, and I guess I guess that is post 
we would have gotten up to, to 2006 yeah, yeah. Yeah, in that first decade. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it, it gets a little gray there. Right. But, uh, but again, I can't, I can't say who did it. Right. So that's where, yeah. The, 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 I, I'm just trying to, to maybe throw some scenarios out. Why, why players are getting extra scrutiny I mean, right, because, I mean, A-Rod and Bonds were dicks, too, but that's not, a, like, there's plenty of dicks in the Hall of Fame as well, right? I mean, he, here's here's what, I'm just going to end with this, and, and you guys can take it where you want. Fucking Jose Altuve is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Uh, yeah. And he was part of, of the most outrageous cheating scandal in Major League Baseball history, by some accounts. Oh, man, can we show up to his induction with trash cans? Right. I wonder if people will. I, I kind of imagine. Or, so how happen. can how can Jose Altuve be getting all this support? You know, he's 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 still a few years from being done with his career. Right. And then he's got five years before he's even eligible. But he's already getting support saying like, oh, that's that's not going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. So how can you say fucking Jose Altuve is going to get in the Hall of Fame and leave A-Rod out? Wait, are people are people really saying that yeah. oh, who's going to get it in, though? Like, yeah. Joe, Joe Paz is pretty confident that he's getting in. I mean, it's a judgment call, right? It's all about this sort of degree, right? When we were talking about this, the yep. degrees of morality here, right? It seems like for a majority of people, the sign stealing, trash can pounding, uh, 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 you know, cheating scandal uh, from the Astros is not nearly as big of a deal as as the steroids. Like, well, he cheated just like A-Rod did, but he didn't break the law, so it's okay. Like, Yeah. So I'm not saying that I agree with obviously with this. Right. But I think that that's what it is for a lot of people. And I mean, I do understand and Maybe I've talked about this, you know, uh, um, I think the reason with like bonds and Clemens and a rod, I think the reason that people are so fired up about that. And the reason that it is still preventing those guys from getting into the hall of fame is because baseball is a sport that is obsessed with its history and is obsessed with statistics. And we've talked about this and we are among that obviously, right? As huge baseball nerds, we are too. And so there are certain things that are sacred to baseball fans. And so, you know, when you talk about all of these records, just getting blown up by guys in their late thirties, it just feels wrong to a lot of people. It even feels wrong to me, uh, you know, even after everything I just ranted about 10 minutes ago, right? It, it feels wrong to me when I think about Bonds' 73 homers and I think about Sammy Sosa hitting 60 homers three times in four years when it had only been done twice in history <laughs> I love before that 1998. And he never led you know? the league. <laughs> yeah, and he never led the league. And, exactly, right. And that feels Wait, no, fucking no. gross. No, he I did. think, did he, did he lead the one year? He, I thought, he must have. I thought Maguire beat him both times and then Bonds the other time. No, because it was 2000 was the, the third one, right? Wasn't it three years in a row? Uh, no, there was like two years, then uh, one year where he hit like 50, and then he wow. hit more than 60. How, yeah. how unlucky. Let's, let's, go, let's look at this right yeah, now. Check, right? Check yeah, it, Matt, check it, Matt. Sammy Sosa. You he's know. got, uh, he's got yeah, seasons of 66, 63, and 64, and none of them are black ink. Yeah. What did, Matt, what did Big Mac hit in 99, 65? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think he now, did 70 now, and then 65. In, in 2000, he led the league with 50. Right, which is super weird how and that And he happens. led the league in 20, 20, or 2002 with 49, but his 360 homer season <laughs> He did not lead. And that feels fucking gross, right? When you, when you look at like a century plus of baseball history, or even if you want to just do the modern era and do just a few decades, whatever, 
that doesn't feel good, right? As somebody who loves the history of the game, loves the numbers like like we do, that feels really bad, you know, uh, uh, to like to to see that. It's like, man, that just, you know, what did these guys do? How did they manipulate the game to make this happen? And so I understand, right? I think there's a deep emotional component, but I think we have to try and like get past that, and we need to try to look at it a little bit more rationally. Um, and and if you do that. I think you find that that the 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 argument to keep all of those guys out doesn't hold much water. So, yeah. Brian Giles' career OPS plus was still higher than Sammy Sosa's. Is that right? Yeah. Now that is fascinating. Yeah. Amazing. That is amazing. I really did. By the way, I was going to guess him. I wasn't bullshitting you, were, you guys. Okay, in the yeah. Text. I mean, I really was. It, it I was thought one of those, it in the car. It, just, it popped up on my YouTube recommendations. It was like the most underrated player of the steroid era, and I was like. Wow. Yeah. It was only I mean, because you gave the Pirates Padres clue. Literally for like 10 minutes during my drive, I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, okay, who in my childhood was like really good who played for the Pirates and the Padres? And it took a while, but I eventually was like, I think Brian Giles played for both of them. And I remember he was pretty good. His, I was his like, peak yeah. four year period, he was better than uh, Larry Jones. That's fascinating. Yeah, he was playing at a really high level, but no one knew. Like he, he no one cared. Well, but, he would have been overshadowed by yeah. these other guys we're talking about. You know? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's How about that? Hey, one last shout out, Colin. You are you are you counting down? You've got one hundred and sixty-seven to go. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What am I counting down to? What? Points until your buddy LeBron Yames passes Kareem. Oh yeah, it's a uh, roughly like six games, I think. Yeah. Uh, Lebron Yames. Lebron Yames. Yeah. Um, now, now, just to put that in perspective, right? There is a there is another child prodigy basketball star born in Akron, Ohio, <laughs> who's only four years younger than Lebron. What's his name, guys? Stephen Curry, only oh. four years younger than Lebron. Right? He is seventeen thousand points behind him. So this is pretty <laughs> momentous, um, right? You know, so. You've got Mr. Three Point shoot him up, lead league and scoring a cup, but still nowhere near. Yeah. Um, the wow. next closest active player is Carmelo Anthony, and he is a ten thousand points behind LeBron. Um, wow, really amazing. So yeah, uh, pretty cool. Um, good for him. Yeah. Um, still, uh, still mystery is whether or not Kareem's going to be involved or not because it sounds like he's being a bit of a sourpuss over it, but. I, I read I read on his Substack that he he's ready to celebrate. He is good. Okay, good. Because yeah. for the longest time they were saying uh, the Lakers said that he was uh, conspicuously silent because he thought no no one would ever come close to his record. But yeah, yeah I mean I I'm sure he thought nobody would ever. It's a pretty insane record. But um, he he does he I don't know from from my accounts he doesn't seem like a very vindictive person no but... no he seems like a quirky weirdo yeah he's definitely very nerdy that's for sure which i love because he's i've read a ton of his books i i'm subscribed to his Substack. i'm definitely a cream fanboy. so mm-hmm. um really quickly just to add one uh uh, uh postscript to the brian giles uh thing 902 career ops that is really, really fucking good. Yeah. If if we were to look up like career numbers and look at people who played like X amount of games, X amount of seasons, whatever, and had like a 900 or over career OPS, 
we would be looking at a really fucking impressive list and a small list too. Well, now, great. I think steroids were definitely part of that. I was just looking at his numbers. But. Steroids could be part of it. But look at his walks numbers. Yeah. Well, like, he drew a lot of walks. He that was it. Like they said, mm-hmm. they talked about again. He doesn't. He had a Tony Gwynn esque mastery of the strike zone, but he did not get because he he had an absurd like 135 walks in one year and didn't lead the league because Bonds had his <laughs> not so intentional walk 250. here. So, uh, yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was he was largely under the radar and I, it took me a while, you know, before I was like, okay, I'm going to pull up the stats and look before I went, oh, wow. Yeah. Um cuz you're right, he looks he he, he looks like um I mean, his upper body's kind of big, but he swings kind of awkwardly. He doesn't have a beautiful power stroke. He has he had a gap to gap line drive stroke. Yeah, and um, I mean, just looking like from ninety nine to 02, which is the four year prime, Matt, yeah. that you sent us the the combined numbers for. He hit between thirty five and thirty nine homers those four seasons every year. Thirty five to thirty nine homers. The rest of his career, he hit twenty once and twenty three once, and everything else was below twenty. So, you know. Granted, Steroids. some guys, yeah, right. Some guys do have primes that are like that good, and then they dip off a lot. But I well, don't know, so ninety-nine to zero two, like his move to San Diego, which was a homecoming, a horrible uh, hitters park, right? Really, really, just yeah. They talked about him maybe having another sixty or home runs or so if he played in a, in a hitter friendly park. It's mm. interesting. I mean, OPS plus tries to. I mean, obviously, you can't do for homers, but it does try to account for ballparks. Um, and his OPS plus was still quite high those first few yeah. years with the Padres. So, so yeah, there that I wonder if yeah if he was yeah. in a if he was in a better hitters ballpark. But mm-hmm. it was it was weird. It was one of those like I knew the name, I knew he was consistently <laughs> good. I didn't realize he was that good. That good, yeah, yeah, yeah. quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we didn't introduce ourselves, but before we wrap up, two jocks and one schlub. What do you got? Two, two jocks and a schlub. A schlub. We don't Sorry, say one anymore you. because, you know. Thank you for the distinction. One cup. We actually didn't even talk about Scott Rowland, though, did we? No. What's there to talk about? Uh, well, I, mean, I think there's some interesting stuff there. 2,000 hits, 300 home runs, a 280 batting average. Yeah, and if you look at it like that, it's super underwhelming. Yeah. And many, many baseball fans would be like, what the fuck? Yeah, but his you war know? tells a different, yeah, his war tells you, okay, he must have been a defensive wizard. Yeah, which, which he was. Which he was. Yeah. yeah, and we just didn't know how to properly value that until yeah. basically technology got good enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's really it's fascinating. Yeah, his, his counting stats are a large. Hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. But his... Just like very good player, but but yeah. not great. But then yeah, you take into account the the level of his defense. You know, we're talking about like I don't know a top five or ten defensive third baseman in history, right? Seem it seems like that's worthy of the Hall of Fame to me. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Matt? Oh, I was just 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 saying our name because we didn't say our name yet. We yeah. never say our names. I'm trying to now. Oh. <laughs> you we might get a, a bunch new of listener new listeners. I was I was that was uh, pitching up the you podcast to a couple, us for... two weeks ago. Oh, were you? Yeah. Okay. Got to get some more people on here. I got I got mugs to give away. <laughs> yeah. If you've listened to us for over an hour, talk about nothing. Hey, yeah, you that's know who the we whole are. point. <laughs> that is the whole point. That is the you whole know what? point. Here, you know, I know we're wrapping up and we do shout outs. Let me give a shout out to my cousin, Ryland. Uh, my co- uh, one of my other cousins got married this past weekend on Saturday. 
And so I saw my cousin Ryland for the first time in, in a while and we were chatting and he was asking if we're still doing the podcast because he hasn't seen posts about it anymore. Colin used to do like social media posts like every week and I don't think he's been yeah, doing Colin it much was anymore. Too good for us. So, uh, yeah, exactly. And so Rye was asking me, are you guys still doing it? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same deal. We're, we're doing the thing. And, and I was shocked. He listened to it and I was like, wait, really? You listened to it? He's like, oh yeah, of course I did. Like, it was great. I loved it. Like you guys are like super fun to listen to or whatever. And I was like, holy fuck. I mean, so anyways, Rye, if you happen to pick it back up and listen to this episode, thank you for the kind words. That was well, amazing. But yeah, it's like my cousin yeah. Jack, when he told me he listened and he was one leaving comments on there, like, oh yeah. shit, like, thanks Jack. Yeah. He said he liked listening to us. Right? And it's just funny. It's funny. What's the, the funniest part to me is like, there are some episodes I think where we talk about sort of like general, more mainstream topics, you know, that, that like more people can relate to. But I feel like most times we are going into the weeds about fucking baseball, <laughs> like like deep nerdy shit about baseball. And I'm like, really? The pe- people are listening to this like they'll keep it on. They'll keep going. But it must just be like the nature, you know, the nature of the conversation, the tone of the conversation or whatever, you know. I mean, I feel like I try and drag you guys away to other weird shit, <laughs> um, but I'm also the one that's going to like look up brian giles stats for three hours you know? so like i can't really say I'm, I'm helping can we say can we just acknowledge really quickly though that um before you gave the pirates padres clue which is how i figured it out before that i came up with jeff bagwell was my first guess which is like a main comp i mean that's very impressive you, you, both your guesses were both of my comps. guesses Who is your and second? lance berkman both yeah. of my guesses were excellent they I just were wanted... both brought up in the youtube video i was watching as like um <laughs> Very I just good want to comp. give myself some and, credit. And Berkman, yeah. especially, they were like, yeah, Berkman gets a lot more love and his career numbers are quickly a lot the same. But what they did is they, you can go and look up highlights on MLB.com and they're like, Berkman, who's, whose career wasn't actually as good as Giles, has 37 highlights on MLB.com. Giles has six. And they're yeah. like, do you know how hard it was to make this video with just six highlights? Like, yeah, that's super interesting. I think, yeah, what you were saying about playing in Pittsburgh and San Diego, because Berkman was on those like good Astros teams yeah. with Biggio and Bagwell, which is also why I think he's underrated because he was playing with Biggio and Bagwell. Oh, yeah, the killer bees. I forgot. About yeah, that. exactly. But but yeah, absolutely. Makes sense that he would be getting more attention than than Giles, who was playing for mediocre Pittsburgh and San Diego teams. Yeah. Yeah. We still got to see a game in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the park is supposed to be gorgeous. I mean, I saw I saw Metallica there. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah, I got. I was on the field. Oh, cool! But I haven't seen a game there. That would be yep. fun. Next yeah. next week, we can uh, go through the schedule and figure out which game we're going to. Oh, yeah. There are they, uh, they play in Pittsburgh the uh, September fifteenth to the seventeenth. I've got it written out already. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about career OPSs before. Just real quick. Uh, I know we need to like wrap it it's up, and we keep adding little things on. Ends. Exactly right. Uh, Berkman's uh, baseball ca- stats forever, friends. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Oh, that's good. That's good. Berkman's career OPS, uh, 943. Ooh, wow. OPS plus, though. What's his OPS plus? Oh, let's see. Um, OPS plus for his career is 144. Okay, also, that might be really Giles. excellent. Yeah, really what was, excellent. What was his OPS during his half year stint with the Yankees? Oh my god, I forgot that that ever happened. Yep. Okay. Yep. He was terrible. uh, 707. The only, okay, and his OPS plus for that stint was under 100. 
The only other time in his career that he was under 100 is 34 games uh, for his uh, coffee, his cup of coffee as a, as a rookie. And then his very last season where he played 73 games with, uh, with Texas, of course. So he like a Joey Votto situation. He came to New York and, and, and just fucking cratered for half Joey a Gallo. Oh, what did I say? Votto. Oh, sorry. Joey Gallo. Obviously. Thank you for the correction. The next year with St. Louis, he had a 959 OPS. Yeah. He was, he was big for the, um, Crazy. when they win the series 2011, I'm pretty sure he yeah, was like 11. A, a catalyst for that team. Yeah. 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. A very, very uh, interesting. Yeah. He beats, he beats Giles. Giles was 137. So close yeah. though. Real close. Yeah. For OPS. That, that trade deadline, the Yankees got Lance Berkman and Pudge and they still didn't make the playoffs. Oh shit. I forgot about Pudge. I forgot about Pudge. Yeah, man. Damn it. <laughs> if that had happened like eight years earlier, gosh, that would have been really exciting. <laughs> I still think both of them were pretty good at that point. I mean, maybe Pudge uh, a little less, but um. I mean, was Pudge on that team or was he another year? What's that? Was Pudge a different year? No, same year, 2008. Yeah, that looks right, Kyle. I'm telling you. I got Berkman on 2010. Oh, Pudge is 08. Pudge, that's correct. Berkman Berkman wasn't a. Yeah, Berkman was 2010. He was a a full year player? No, he only played half a year with the Yankees. But it it was 2010, not 2008. Oh, wow. And Pudge was horrible with us. Yeah, it was like the worst half a season he ever had. Totally misremembering that. So that that would make more sense, though, as to to why it was so crazy that he was so good in 2011 is because he was so bad with the Yankees in 2010. Yep. Damn it, Pudge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stop talking because I keep adding on these little things. I'm done. (laughs) All right, boys. Same time next week. Sounds good. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.